Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Rugby Paper podcast. Given what's happened in the last week with Worcester Warriors going into administration, a little change of plan. Joining me, Nick, Brendan and Chris to discuss the issues of Premiership Rugby is former Saracen Director of Rugby, former Harlequin CEO and coach and recently named Fijian Drewer CEO, Mark Evans. Let's get going. We've got full house. We've got Brendan with me, Chris with me and Nick with me. And we've also got former Harlequin CEO, former Saracens Director of Rugby and now Fijian Drewer CEO, most recently, Mark Evans. How are you, Mark? I'm good. Never leave out my beloved Melbourne Storm. All right. <laughs> it's a lot to fit in. You've got all the Western Force. All the Western Force. All Western Western Force, of course. Shout out to the both of them. Now, how does it feel me addressing you as CEO of Fijian Drawer? I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fascinating experience and hopefully a successful one. I'm, you know, nothing. Look, I've been banging on as you know for 25 years about how the sport is not leveraging the playing strength of the islands and here's an opportunity to help change that so you'd be a pretty washed up case if you didn't grab it wouldn't you and I saw you did an interview with Brian Thorburn who you're taking over um Mm. you were stepping in temporarily yeah and I'm roughly quoting you when you say that your excitement matches that or even exceeds that of when you took over your previous role so elaborate on that why is excitement so high I suppose because I think the it's such a different environment and I mean, I've only ever been once and for three days. And the level of obsession with the game is just fantastic. You know, you, you see kids in a very, very poor village throwing a water bottle around playing touch. They all play touch. I mean, it's just there's rugby posts everywhere. Well, quite sort of rusted rugby posts, actually. It's not all of them with crossbars. And, and to call it a pitch in certain circumstances, you know, there are some lovely pitches, good pitches there, but obviously in, in the community, it's, it's well, we wouldn't play on it, let's put it that way, but they do. And, you know, if we can actually put some decent, they already made a, a lot of progress. So if I can help them put some, improve, even improve some of the systems even more, I mean, the whole point is to strengthen the 15, the international team, uh, and to give the people of Fiji their own team. They've never had their own team. They always supported the New Zealand team. They supported the Hurricanes or the Crusaders or the, or the Chiefs. And now they support the Drua. And that can only be a good thing. So talk about how this will strengthen the national team long term. We were just well, talking about it off air, actually. Although, but... although I don't think you have to buy in entirely to Ben Darwin's cohesion theories, you know, which are very, very, he's, he's, he's made a, 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 a lot of pro, uh, progress into various countries and uh, built a decent business on the back of it. But it, there is something in it. You know, the idea that it's not just about the talent of your players, it's how often they play together and how, what the levels of cohesion they've got between the different elements. And we all know, isn't it, when we've done something with somebody a lot, it becomes easier. You know, not just rugby, just that's just any real, uh, real activity. And Fiji and the other islands and Argentina as well, although they have overcome it over the years, are at a significant disadvantage because they aren't able to bring their international players together very often. And the Fijians and the Tongans and the Samoans have, it's a long, long way and it's hard to get players released historically, although that has got better. And you can't control their programme. You don't know what they're eating in, in various countries, what they're doing. You, and then when you bring them together, they've never played together for nine months, 10 months. I mean, it does make me smile sometimes when I hear A. Jones and other other. Western coaches saying, well, we can have them together long enough. I mean, what make you want to come to Fiji? It's sort of... <laughs> so I think the Drua, to have an on-island team competing at a high level, you have to be Fijian to play in the Drua. You have to be qualified for the country. You know, one, we want to do well and get better in Super Rugby and climb the ladder. Two, we want to have 
we want to give a, a pathway to players of which there are such much, so much talent on the island that you don't have to leave Fiji to be a professional rugby player. You can now play for the Drua. Will you get paid as much as you do playing for Stade Francais or Clermont or whoever? No, of course you won't. And the very, 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 very best will probably still go. But if we can keep a significant number playing at a high level on the island, that will undoubtedly, in my opinion, strengthen the national team. Because now you won't need to bring six back. Yeah, sorry, you don't want to bring 20 back. You might bring eight back. And they might find they don't make the team. And, and, and there's all that kind of stuff. So I do like the model. It's quite a big model that World Rugby are pushing at the moment. It's the same model they're trying in Chile. It's the same model they're trying with Manuel Pacifica. With for the Samoans and the Tongans in, in Auckland. And Fiji is just about big enough economically to have an on-island team. It, it just is still, it isn't possible to do that in Samoa and Tonga. I mean, the economics are just too difficult. Fiji, it's not easy. I suppose that's one of the reasons they might have brought me in, is that, you know, but you think it, it's, got a, it's got a chance. I presume you're not staying here. No, no, no. <laughs> Could be tricky. Uh, no, I'm, I'm leaving um, two weeks out there. Two weeks Friday, two weeks Saturday, one of those. Okay. All right. Well, that's obviously very, very exciting. And in terms of the on-field domestic challenge that Fijian Drua could potentially mm. mount, 11th place finish last year. We mentioned Moana Pacifica. They were yeah. the only team that finished below. Yeah. I don't know. We had Toby Booth and he was speaking on the Ospreys a couple of years ago. And when he was coming in, they were finishing very near the bottom as well. And he said, this is the mm. type of thing that takes three or four seasons. Can Fijian locals who are now supporting the Drua expect a couple of upsets in the next season or two? Well, they had a couple last year, to be fair. I mean, most people didn't think Drew would win a game. Didn't think we were as strong as Pacific as as, as, as the Pacifica team in Auckland either. But I've sort of said, I think I've said it publicly, so I'll say it again. I think in three years, I'd like to get the top half. I think that would be a, I think that's an achievable goal. There's certain things you can't control. You know, I because of course, the better we do, the top end will leave quicker. It's just just the way it is. So a lot of this is about getting the pathways right and getting the player ID right and getting the flow of players through. And can you, can we doing things on Ireland produce never short of wingers and back three and they're never short of back row. And they're not usually sort of locks either. They've got that rangy, tall, athletic type of, of player that plays a, a, a second row for, the, for them. They've got quite a few of those. They struggle a bit in the front row, technically, still. And they struggle a bit at halfback. So that's a, that's a sort of more of a sort of clinic-y coaching challenge as well. So, look, I think we can get better. I think we can go top half in three years. That is a stretch because you've got to get past some very good sides. You know, you've got to get past probably one of the Kiwi teams and three of the Aussie teams to do that. Well, that's coming where the Drew are coming from. That's, 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 that's a, well, you know, you like stretch targets, don't you? Mark, just on a broader uh, subject regarding mm. Fiji and the Fijian Drew. I think that over 50% of the Fijian population is actually of Indian origin. No, no, that's not right. It's about 35. Is it? 35. Okay. But they have virtually no representation and haven't historically in Fijian teams. Are you, you know, is that something that you, you know, you'd hope to uh, change? I know that your brief is very much top end, but, you know, you've talked about the influence having an impact on the game in Fiji and so on. That's a bit outside my remit, Nick. You know, that's a that's more of a FFRU sort of thing. And I'm not employed by the FRU, so 
Um, it's interesting though, because the, 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 the Indo-Fijian community is uh, very strong amongst the sponsor group. And there is some, there are some Indo-Fijian kids who play, but largely in schools. Yeah, so I don't, and to be honest, I don't know enough about that yet, either to be making considered, to have a considered position on that. Mark, when you talk about, when you talk about countries that struggle because they don't spend very much time together, how do you explain the situation? I, don't, I mean, this is apples and pears. I'm not comparing them with Fiji. But how do you explain the fact that the Springboks can be spread all over the world now for very large chunks of a season? And yes, they spend a chunk of time together around the rugby championship and they'll be yeah. back around in the autumn internationals. So as I say, it's not apples. And, it is apples and pears. But it does blow a little bit of a hole in the argument that in the Eddie Jones argument that the more time you spend together, the better you're going to be, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's there's a continuum, isn't there, Chris? <laughs> and I think you, you don't want the argument is is where does it you you need to be somewhere, not at either. Well, you certainly don't want to be at the extreme end where you're never together. Right? That, that that's 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 really difficult. So you're coming along that continuum to a point, and then other factors start to be to be significant, such as talent pool and i say what you like about the south africans they've got uh, and i have done but they have got a terrific talent pool and their schoolboy rugby is is their whole schoolboy system is extraordinary so i suppose they be towards the end of the continuum and say as well it will it, we need a certain amount of time together but we probably don't need as much time together as say oh let's upset somebody uh the scottish maybe should we say uh, in the sense that really Why small on the little guys. Why no, really, <laughs> really small. No, it's, it's really small player base. Really small. I mean, I think Scotland massively overachieve for the number of players they've got playing the game. Um, it's a really small player base. If you've got a really small player base and you never come together, then you you really are going to struggle. And 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 people come together. They don't come together largely for monetary reasons. It's either that players have to go and play overseas if they want to be full time. I, I much prefer that word to professional. It's about being full time, right? Professionals and attitude and behavior. Being full time is an economic status, and there's a big difference. Mm. And being full time is a purely economic thing. So, you know, you go to Portugal, for instance, who have got quite a lot of talent, but you have to go to France. You cannot be full time in Portugal yet. So I think there's there, there is this balance between, you know, goodness. I mean, England, for example, could never meet, you know, turn up at the, go old school and turn up at the Lensbury on Thursday night with your best 15 players. They'd still be good because they've got so many good players. And, and, and on the same kind of subject, where, where do you where do you put Fijian ambitions in their circumstances alongside, let's say, the position that the Pumas are in? Because the, 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 the Pumas have gone from being pretty much on a par with Fiji for long periods of time in World Cup mm. history, not much difference between them probably, then they've yeah, they've had spikes of achievement. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and the real spike of achievement in 2007 was when virtually none of them were playing in Argentina no, at all. No, no, none of them were. They were spread all over the place. And in fact, right, right. Absolutely in fact right. when the Jaguars came through, they, 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 it was a law of diminishing returns. Well, they seemed to be bored with each other, actually. I mean, Argent, except, well, they did get a Super Rugby Cup final to final, to be fair to mm, them. They did. You know, so let's not forget that. I mean, it's not like the Jaguars were poor in Super Rugby. They, for a couple of years, they were very, very strong. And, and they started from a massive disadvantage in terms of their travel. 
Mm. You know, I mean, everyone, the travel for all the Super Rugby teams was difficult. It's one of the reasons it collapsed. But it was a lot more difficult for the Argentinians than anybody else because they are so geographically isolated in a, in a rugby sense. But I do think Argentina will always be competitive. Uh, I will come back to the Fiji point. that Because their amateur, junior, amateur rugby is so strong. And they got a very sensible union who do not overreach. You know, they didn't try and set up a professional league in Argentina, which is incredibly expensive, and they wouldn't be able to finance. They, they, they were happy to outsource their best players for a generation, you know, the P-Show generation, which culminated in 2007. And on and the back of that... bunch, wasn't it? That was absolutely an extraordinary. extraordinary. Yeah. But they had so many players playing at such a high level in the top 14. And then they were able to, 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 to basically bounce off that into the Jaguaris. And they've been the big loser from the collapse of Super Rugby. But it's the Argentinians, the Jaguaris. So, but you've got to admire them because they've still, they, they said, well, all right, we're not going to do something stupid. We're going to go back to our old model. We'll put most of our players in England and and." In the three European leagues, one or two. Um, uh, is it what's his name? That really great back row. They always get his name on Matt, Matt um, Matera. Matera, who went off and played for the Crusaders, and, and but mainly in Europe. And they go, all right, and um, we'll go back to what we did in 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 the early two thousands, and and we didn't do too bad. And if the economic winds change, and who knows in twenty years' time, because you've got to think in those type of timescales, if Chile. Iraq get stronger if Uruguay gets stronger and they're both showing it's hard. Uruguay's quite a small country, it's only three million people and football's really strong. Maybe, maybe you might get a regional thing going there. But I still think now for the foreseeable future, most of the top Argentinians will be in Europe. No different to football. Yeah, I mean, it's purely an economic an economic thing. I mean, they have a pretty well-established provincial structure. Yeah, they which do. Used to have, which used to have pretty strong rivalries in it. Yeah. That's gone by the board to a degree because obviously their, you know, their leading players are looking to uh, make as much coin as they can. Yeah, well, they, they tend to come from a fairly upper-middle-class background in Argentina as well, and, and, and they're used to foreign travel and they are pretty on i'm generalizing terribly right but but mostly they're pretty well educated i'm from tuckerman well there is that uh i wouldn't generalize about tuckermanese at all and their english tends to be quite good so you know that that they're quite well suited to living overseas it's a sort of it, it, it culturally they the social economic background most of those argentinian players is not dissimilar to europe they're, and that makes it to some degree easier can Fiji can Fiji reach that side? Before I'd be I'd be delighted if in two thousand and twenty seven Fiji made a quarter final. I think that'd be that'd be terrific. Hundred percent. Look, guys, we've got to move on from the draw because obviously there's a particular matter on the agenda today that I do want to have time to discuss. But uh, Mark, wishing you all the best with the move and yes. obviously everything that comes with it. It does sound like a very, very exciting opportunity. And I'm, Thanks very I'm, much. One, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the Drua in the next few years. Don't look too close early on. It might not be very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're obviously heading off to sunny Fiji <coughs> and on a slightly less exciting note, leaving in your, behind you a, a fairly bleak situation for the Gallagher Premiership. Obviously, we're recording fresh off the back of the news that Worcester Warriors have gone into administration. Mark, I'm just going to, 
ask you for your thoughts. You labelled it on Twitter as probably the worst day in the history of Premiership rugby. Um, yeah, I'd stand by that. Stand by it. All right, elaborate on it and the implications of Worcester going into administration, not just for the club, but for the Pre- Gallagher Premiership as a whole. Well, if I could refer my learned friend to... Um... <laughs> It's not a yeah, visual podcast, is, so you have to say. Yeah, I know, but I thought, it, I thought it made the boys laugh, so I thought I'd do it anyway. Yeah? Well, it, well, it did, Mark, and also it's very difficult to elaborate on the longest tweet in history. Yes, indeed. It was only four. <laughs> it was only four slots. I've done longer. I've done longer. <laughs> All right, um, condense the longest tweet in history. Know, it, just, look, just for um, listeners at home, Mark just showed us his book, Unholy Union. Well, man, and Mike Edwin, to be fair, he wrote it. I, you know, uh, well, we took together anyway. Look, this has been, this is not a surprise. And, and I, I think you've got to be a bit careful about conflating Wor- Worcester and Wasps. I think there are two really very different situations. Uh, I think Wasps, in a way, is less, is, 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 less under, is more understandable. You know, what, what Wasps were buggered at High Wycombe. They were going under. Let's, 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 let's not rewrite history here. In 2014, Wasps were buffed. And if they hadn't moved to Coventry, they would have gone in 2014, right? Everybody, I, I, it's very interesting. In all the country, no, hardly anyone seems to mention that. I find that very, very strange. They had a threat of a winding up order at that point. Yes, they did. The yes, they did. For, yes, for, they did. For, le- for less than the current one, but it was still a very significant yeah. amount of money. So, what of what? How have what's got to where they are? Well, you could say overreach and over leverage and they took out too much debt against the assets that may or may not be true i haven't got and i don't i don't think any of us have got the, the the detail to to make two other than sort of general comments about that and then they were hit by covid which hit them harder because of all their businesses at coventry got hit it wasn't just the rugby the the hotel was closed the casino was closed the exhibition center was closed their whole business model completely disappeared for nearly two years so there are lots of businesses that that happened to but some were far more affected than others and they have now simply got swallowed by the debt and their inability to refinance now to me that's a i'm not going to call it simple that is a that is a but a pretty common business failure. You take risk, right? That's the, that's the whole point. You have to take risk, otherwise you never build anything. And they took a risk. They gave them a better chance than they had at Adams Park, and it hasn't worked. I'm really sad about that, but it's a pretty straightforward business story. I, I'm not sure Worcester is a particularly straightforward business story. I think Worcester, there's no failure of governance at Was, right? It's not like that Was were insolvent almost from the get-go and had no and had no resources. You look at what Derek Richards put into that club personally. Yes, he took some loans out during in in in, in the late um, part of the last decade, but he then put them back in. You know, so he's got real skin in the game, right? And there's no suggestion that they've been trying to hive off assets into different into different companies or into different to, to, to sort of and, and selling assets to raise a bit of cash because there's no other money to put into it. I think Worcester is a much, much more serious case and a, a, a sad indictment on the governance of the game, both at 
RFU level, uh, PRL level, who have outsourced the oversight to the RFU, which I, I think must be the only league in the world that does that, frankly. How can you run a league and outsource your fit and proper person's test to another party, however closely related? You're, asking, you're inviting them in the shareholders to your business and somebody else does the due diligence. I, I, I think it's extraordinary. And, you know, and, and, and now we are in the situation where I'm not sure Worcester, uh, I'm not sure what there is to save. And I'm not, I, I, hope, I hope there is things to save, but I don't know who owns what. I can't work it out. You go and have a look. It's all in the public domain. I've got no inside knowledge here. You can have a look at the public domain. Go and have a look at the number of companies that are owned by um, the same people and the number of properties that are moved between them and the number of loans that have been taken out against it. And, and what were the DCMS doing, giving £18 million to that? I mean, that's our money. Uh, that's why I said I thought it was the saddest day in the premiership because I think it's a terrible situation. We're not a young sport. I don't buy this argument at all. We are not a young professional league in the Premiership. We've been going 27 or 26 years. That is just a feeble excuse. Oh, we're a young sport. We haven't been professional very long. How long do you damn want? But apart from that, I don't feel very strongly about it. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, do you see something to say for Worcester? Listen, Mark might not have gone through all the public records, but you know more about it than I do. But I'm just staggered at the, the level of reported debt. Um, and, you know, you go to Worcester and they've got great facilities. You know, under Cecil, they always had that feel of a, a quite well-run club that, you know, haven't got the natural assets of some, but you expected them to keep going, tight-knit group. Uh, and to get there in the end. But so it's a real shock to me that we were talking like 25, 26, 27 million pound and nobody really knows where it's all gone. But, you know, the optics of this are all wrong as well. I look at that and you look at the WAS situation, which I would accept is totally different. But then you look at a Premier League that for the last 10 years has got uppity with championship sides if they haven't got an atten- you know, a capacity of 10,001. Now, this is fiddling while Rome burns. You've got these clubs with a you know an accumulated debt of probably three four hundred million if you take all the all the Premiership teams together or at least that's been some of the reports I've read. Has been some I'm going to say some of that reporting has been misleading, but but carry yeah, on. but but there is huge debt in in the league. There's no question about that, and you know evidence increasing evidence of misgovernance and all that, and you know they were fiddling while Rome burns, and you have got these clubs that could have come through like Ealing. Oh, t- please. Oh, please. Give it a rest. I was having this debate. David, a couple of very well-known guys that you will know. You, there's, no, there's nothing which says you can't be a well-run club. You don't have to have mega money to be a... T- yeah, okay, Brendan, I'm sorry. I've got to interrupt. Yes, Castor have got four... They've got no money compared with anybody in France. Who? They've got the... Castor. They've got the four of the last nine French T14 finals. they got I'm sorry, less Brendan. money. Name me three Castor players, Mark. Well, I could bring you about seven, but that's not the point. Castro have got the Fabre Foundation. When Philippe yeah, Fabre When Philippe Fabre died, right, he left an endowment fund to Cast, the club he loved. So the idea that Castro some kind of do you want a poor French club in the top fourteen? At least I wonder if Goody's going to do the same at Ealing. 
Exactly. You're picking exactly the same. Yeah, and they haven't got to... If you seriously think... Yeah, but the they're a well-run win... club. They, they, they balance the books who, at the end of the day. Well -run? Who's the well-run club? Well, Elian for a start, but we're talking about Castro. They balance yeah, the on. books. And we've, they... lost, we've lost the picture here that the yeah. idea of all these clubs, regardless of all this money, TV money, um, COVID low money, is you balance the books. No, well, that's the, the basic club... business... I'm, that's what I'm every sorry, junior club in this country does. I'm sorry, that's just... I'm sorry, that's just nonsense. The French clubs lose collectively last year thirty-five million pounds. Yeah, but right? Castro don't. No, no, shush. Just let me just let me finish. I'm not arguing that the business plan of English clubs is, isn't broken. I've been arguing that for twenty years, right? So I don't need any uh, instruction about the business model of the Premiership. It is broken. It's been broken for twenty years, and I've said so consistently. But I will not accept. But the top 14 is a beautiful business model either. It just happens to be a bigger market. It's the biggest rugby market in the world, bar none. It's got 24 million people, roughly, whose number one sport is rugby union. There's not another market in the world that gets anywhere near it. But it's still broken. It still requires 35 million pounds worth of subsidy. England, smaller market, also requires huge subsidy. That's why I would have, the point I would agree with you is the business model is broken. But if you think the way to fix it is to find another rich bloke at a club with no fans, there's absolutely no hope for you. Particularly, we ask, are you seriously suggesting we put four clubs in a 10 mile corridor on the North Circular? Are you absolutely. Well, I haven't suggested crazy. any of that. And I haven't said the top 14 is anything other than a market that is, has got its own problems. All I'm saying is, the smallest club there. It's not the smallest the club. It's nowhere near the smallest. And I, I smallest don't accept club. that you, you have just you know you've got big differences in the in the, the wealth of the clubs in the league. It doesn't mean to say that you're not going to you can't be well run and you can't be competitive. Of course you can't. You've got the big. Take another league. Take the NRL. Another best rugby league in the world by a distance. The largest club in that league. I'm saying a lot. Well, maybe not. Gulliver in the in the oh, in the land of Lilliput. Possibly, but a terror in a, in a, of, a, of a relatively small market, a terribly well, miles bigger than the top 14 in a much smaller market. Yeah. And their biggest club, Brisbane Broncos, got the biggest population, biggest attendance, biggest membership, biggest sponsorship, right? Last two years ago, Ken Stone Cold last. last. That's, that's what happens in sport, isn't no, it? No, it's not what happens in sport, Brendan. Well, it's, it's what, no, Jim, what Jim Ratcliffe put £150 million into an America's Cup campaign and they embarrassed themselves. It, it, he also it, puts £50 million a quid a year into the Ineos cycling and they haven't won a, a grand tour this year. Yeah, well, completely different point. My point is you can't, that only happens in leagues. It's why, why doesn't it happen to Manchester United? Why in the Premiership? Why does it never happen to Liverpool? Why does it never happen to Arsenal or Chelsea? Right. Because of the way they're structured. If you want to get a, a business model that, that small clubs can subscribe to, which I totally support. Right. You cannot do it the way we've been doing it and you can't do it the way the Premiership do it. You can do it the way the NRL do it, whereby Brisbane, with all their money, can only spend the same as everybody else. Right. And you I've worked that system. You try and get around the salary cap in the NRL. That doesn't come out by accident. That, that comes about by design, right? And, and it isn't just a salary cap, by the way. It's a whole pile of stuff. And that's why the small market teams in that league, and that's what we're talking about, small market teams, small market teams, not non-existent marketing teams like Ealing, but small market teams, right, can win because the, the, the structure and the business 
the business model is is set up to do exactly that. Yeah. And, and we are a mile away from that. We're a mile away from that. Well, we're we're a mile away from it, not least because of the P-share structure set up by Walkinshaw, and you'll know that from your time at Harlequins. Yeah. So the argument is against the P-shares, well, which I've heard a lot, and I know it's people... A cartel. Tell. No, it's not. A, Nick, that's not the definition of a cartel. The P-shares were set up for a, for a simple reason, which is it's quite hard. To, I don't like the destruction, but it's quite hard to argue against this. Maybe you can have a go. If I put the case, the P shares were constructed. It's not some kind of conspiracy theory. They, this is why they were set up, because I used them. I remember back in the day in the early noughties or whenever it was, they came in already tens of millions of pounds had gone into the clubs. Right. And everybody knew there was virtually no chance of getting that back on the P&L. It, it was a call it a sunk cost, call it an investment, call it venture capital, call it what you like. But the money wasn't coming back. So. What do you do? Well, a lot of clubs at the time really struggled for assets. OK, so a lot of them didn't have their own stadium. We did one thing we did get right in the 2000s. We built a lot of stands, right, because we had some terrible facilities and we were never going to be a serious sport with those kinds of stadia. Right. Looks terrible on television. You're just never going to get the broadcast. So how did you get the money? Well, we had some of the clubs had no assets. So the P shares were set up as a way of uh, as an asset that you could buy and sell. And you could, much more important, you could borrow against them. So when we bought, we went to our, we, went, we did four building phases in my time. On our third one, we used the P shares as collateral. That's what we used them for. And that's what they were set up to do. Now, I totally get the point I think you're going to make now, which is the inequality of funding, right? Which is, is what you've is, been advocating. Is, no, it's not, it's not what I'm advocating. I'm saying that wasn't the original reason that P shares. No, no, set no. Up. I'm saying you're now advocating equal funding. That's the. No, I, I haven't advocated either at the moment, have I? I don't think. I thought you had, yeah. No, I do, no, I do think that if you, yeah, this is the, the other bit that the only the only way you'll ever get equal funding, and you won't like this bit, but I'm sorry, they come as a they come as a package, right? The only way you will ever get equal funding in a league is having it closed. You look at all the leagues around the world that have equal funding, they are all closed. Now, that's my argument. That allows you to, costs are way too high, way too high. It's a form of protection that I would agree with. It's not a cartel, but it is a form of, it's of saying, look, guys, you put millions and millions and millions of pounds into this. Here's at least something that if it all goes kaput, like it did at Leeds, right? When Leeds, decided professional rugby was no longer for them when Paul Paddock, great man, who put in significant amounts of money into Leeds, Tykes or Carnegie, whatever they're called, over the years, right? When he decided, I know, you know, we didn't go, but I'm losing too much money. I'm going to go back to just running a very successful and profitable rugby league team. He sold the P-shares, right? So he got, he didn't get his money back, but he got some of his money back. If you're going to attract investment into any sector, there's got to be some security. So if you want even funding, which I do, you've got to have a close lead. It's it, that's it. It's you can't, it's not pick one or the other. You pick both or none. I pick both. Well, I'd pick unequal funding. I mean, I don't think that sport 
can be that organized and you're not going to get investors coming in if their investment can't make a difference to their side. And that's the point I was trying to make in France. You know, when, whatever you think Castro have as an income, it will be a third of what Toulouse have and probably Racine and That's simply and not true, Brendan. But carry on. Well, they, they don't have 39 million euros a year, do they, like Toulouse? We know that. No, they, sure. no, of course they don't. But Castro, and you're not going to get these big... Castro are in the top, they're in the top six budget of the league, Brendan, but carry on. Well, not the information I have. Castro would be towards the bottom. Well, that's but the thing they, is, my whole point is, we don't seem to have any of these investors that the game seemed to have at least potentially 10, 15 years ago, because the yeah. likes of, let me say, you know, say Jim Ratcliffe, what possibly difference can it make? He's got big money, but he can't use it. He comes into a league and he's oh. immediately put okay. down to the common so, denominator. So your solution to a league that's lost half a billion pounds is that they're not spending enough money on the players. So he's saying, no, I didn't say that. I'm saying... That's exactly what you said. Investment. He's got to make a difference. But, he's got to allow him to spend moment, more money. Okay, but... Five million pound is not a lot of money for forty-five oh, players, oh. and it's not doing the job, is it? It's not doing what the job. Not doing the job. You don't think we've got a competitive league? Well, we've got two of them going out of business at the moment. Well, so, the and, you think the, and you think the solution to that is to spend more money, do you? I think the solution is not to put a cap on it. You can spend as much as you can afford. Well, doing then, good husbandry. For then, some that will be five million a year. For some that will be seven million a year. If you want a league, right, you can look at loads of examples of that model you've, you're suggesting, right? If you want a league, the only sport in the world that, can ha that has got that model that you are, I think, proposing is football in four countries in Europe, right? And that is why, if this is the league you want, Fine. This is what will happen. Well, the top fourteen has got that. Hold on a minute. You'll know no, the top. We know got the same budget in the top fourteen, have they? We know. We know the top six in the Premiership before the season starts. Every oh, football or rugby now. Football. Yeah. Every year, every fourth or fifth or seventh or eighth year, you get a Leicester City. They last one year and they go back down. You and I both know if we get any 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 understanding of the sport. But the top six this year will be Arsenal, Chelsea, both the Manchester clubs, Tottenham and Liverpool. Right? Why? Because when you look at their, their spend, it is out of all proportion to the other 14 teams in the league. So the top, it's only a question of which order the, the top six come from. They're never going to get relegated. They're never going to be outside the top. So what? They might have a terrible, well, terrible... Brighton, West Ham, you know, you do get other teams. Go, and they, and they go, don't get a huge amount of money anyway. Really, if you can't stand up, stay on the same point, mate, we can't have an argument, right? Is that what you're saying? You want you want uneven... Spend what you like. Whoever's no, not got spend the what you like. Spend what you, the club, can afford. And but, it might oh, be four and a half million pounds. Right, right. It might oh, be six, but don't be constrained and be, have the lowest common denominator. Oh, stop this. This pejorative use of that phrase is pitiful, frankly. The lowest common denominator. Well, what is it if it's not that? It's an attempt to grow the league, mate, because people will come and watch games like they were last weekend, where it's one point win here, two point win here, three point win here. They do not come to see a six nil blowout when Liverpool beat whoever they're beating this week. Right. And football, it doesn't blow out nearly as much as rugby, nearly as much. Right. So your model will shrink the sport. Right. And don't start throwing France. It's twice as big a market. They ought to have, of course, they can run more teams, 
right? It's absolute nonsense. And you cannot find me a model in the world where that works. You've got well, a franchise model who does Mark, work. Hang on, hang on, Brent. Mark, you've got a franchise system in rugby union in New Zealand and Australia, okay? Yeah, well, not... Yeah, it, effectively you do. The crowd yeah, but... attendances for most matches are poor and have been for the last decade. Explain that. Well, explain easy, why, easy, explain, easy. Let me finish. Let me finish. And explain why even New Zealand are worried about falling participation numbers. Yeah. Well, two. Two, don't, two things you're conflating. Let's take Australia, a market I've worked Well, they're linked. Um, let's take Australia, union and league. All the sports in Australia are franchise-based. So the point of difference is not whether they are franchised or otherwise. They are all, well, with a the, with the slight exception, yet again the exception, football. So the, the smallest of the four codes in Australia. The big, the three codes, the two big ones, the middle one, which is rugby union, uh, are all franchised. They're all closed. And none of them lose significant sums of money. They compete. No, they don't. I'd run one. We didn't. We did. They didn't lose money. The yeah. franchises don't spend much, but they don't lose money. Well, they can't. They go bust. Right? They go bust. The Reds would go bust. They'd hope the Rugby Australia would bail them out, but they haven't got much money either. They haven't got any money. Yeah, you're so, right. So the AFL's dominant. Closed league, salary cap. Doesn't matter how big your market is, you pretty much all spend the same. Well, you've got NRL. a limited market because it's only Australia wide. NRL. AFL. So, Leagues are only Australia league-wide. If you you have a domestic league, if you're big enough... Rugby union's an international got... sport. AFL isn't. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Well, <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, it's a big difference. But it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Not for the league, Nick. Because we, make, we have to go multinational because we've only got three countries in our sport big enough to support an, a national league. With Japan, England and France are the only ones. Everyone else has to merge. Because it's a relatively small sport. It's no good saying, oh, in Australia, they're not an international sport. And no, they're not anything like the rugby union. It's not a huge rugby union market. It never has been, right? The reasons why Australian rugby union isn't very big are historic and cultural. It's got nothing to do with the fact they've got a franchise system. Well, let's Every talk about sport New in Zealand, Australia then. does. New Zealand yeah. right, have got falling participation, was your point, wasn't it? Right, it's Which, one of the points. They've yeah, also got a franchise. Falling participation, along with virtually every other country for adult male team sports in the world. You look at the whole of Western Europe, and we worry about it quite rightly about rugby union. Right, number of adults playing the game yeah. is falling. Is no that question. the case in France as well? Yes, that is the case, and it's also the case in American. You're sure about that? I'm absolutely positive. Yes. There's only one sport in the UK, even soccer's numbers are falling. The only sport that I can find in the UK is participation numbers at amateur level, at adults, not, not, because minis and junior numbers have held up reasonably well. But at, at adult, we've had a cultural shift across Western Europe. More people do the gym, more people do cycling, more people do triathlon. The shift to individualized sports is really quite significant. And it's a big challenge for the games. Like the only one I can find in the UK where the numbers are going up is, is netball, believe it or not. And and there's a whole heap they of They say basketball, don't they? But I think that's on school numbers. I, th I, th I think, Brent, basketball's fascinating, isn't it? We all played it at school if we went to a state school, but we've never been able to get in a professional league going. 
and, and I'm not quite sure why. I think it's something to do with venues. We don't have many, you know, basketball's a great sport in a big venue with the big videotrons, and, but we've hardly got any arenas like that in this country. It's very hard to know where to put them. So I, I think we've got to be really careful. We, falling participation is a definite thing. Um, I'm a slight contrarian. I'm not quite sure. Well, part of me hates it. Part of me is not sure whether it has any impact on profe the professional side of the sport. I mean, you take it again. I love a continuum. You, you take it to one end of the continuum. Nobody in America, American football is the most popular schoolboy sport in America, in the States. Team sport, sorry, team sport. Swimming is always number one. But team sport, American football, number one. Nobody plays it beyond 21. But they all watch it because they all played it in school. So is that, is that a good model for a society? I, I don't know. I don't oh, know. I don't, I'm not sure. An idea. I don't think it is. But yeah, I don't think it is either. But but it's hard to. There are certain social currents here. I mean, I, I'll compare my rugby. I mean, you've got it. I'm sure with Yedek, you've got sons. But you know, when I was growing in my teens and twenties, I played every week, right? And you know, I played. Ended up playing at Saracens at a reasonably serious amateur level. My son was pretty good too. But in his, and he still plays today, he's 33. Might get a few too many, not. I think it might, it might be his last year. But he didn't play every week because he went to festivals. I never went to festivals. He used to go off to, the, off to Europe for the weekend with his girlfriend. I never did that. You know, the, 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 the whole social thing's changed. And, and, and I regret it in some ways, but I'm not sure I can do much about it. And I don't know. I, I think it's a really complicated uh arena uh, but i'm certainly it's got nothing to do with whatever you however you structure at professional end of the game i think that's a i, I do there is a there is a connection of course there is and you know don't get me going on second tier and now we've completely screwed that up as well because you know but you and i and, and brenda would agree it's been screwed up we probably disagree about the, what you think the solution should be yeah. but what i would say is every professional sport around the world that I've ever studied needs a thriving second tier. Doesn't necessarily have to be full time. Doesn't necessarily have to be paid. Doesn't. But you've got to know what it's trying to do. Otherwise, you know, American football again. What's its second tier? It's the collegiate system. Well, okay, that's that's what it is. We're not that's, even we're not even close to that, are we? No, we're, we're not. In, in, no. in English rugby, we are nowhere near that. No. We're a million miles no. away from the meaningful second tier. We are. I, I agree. I, I, I mean, I, I'm with you on virtually all of this, Mark. I, I, as you know, I do have an emotional, a deep emotional attachment to the idea of promotion and relegation. So, so do I, I emotionally. Do. Um, so do I. So, but you've described, but apart, but apart from that, I'm pretty much with you. And my heart sank towards the earth's core when I read in the rugby paper a couple of weeks ago that a minority of, of, of premiership chairman owners have you in 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 this environment want to put the salary cap back up are they mad no they've got enough no they are the ones who've got enough money to do it and they, they don't are, really care very much no, about the rest no, that that's that's part of my defi definition of madness frankly and no one knows what's coming around the corner anyway just on, on, a, on a far wider landscape than rugby exists on no it, it, it's complete madness but you described this is pretty much the worst weekend or the worst week in Premiership rugby history. I agree with you completely. By definition, that leads us to a tipping point. I think the leadership. Okay. I think the leadership is rank. 
at the moment in rugby at, at the national union and premier rugby i think is pretty poor i think it's self-serving i think it's blinkered it's a whole stack of things which you don't want in your leadership groups and I'm just wondering whether now is not the time to, and there was a hint of this in last weekend's rugby papers, whether we should be looking to broaden things out with uh, the Scots or the Welsh yeah. to establish something cross-border. You might even get up to a sort of 18-team 18 18 team structure, which you could split into two divisions oh, and have promotion and relegation. Don't get me it, wrong. You not could, all the way down. Your seamlessness is gone, but at least you've got enough bodies at professional level to form a couple of meaningful divisions where you can incorporate the excitement of promotion and relegation. But I, where that leads to <laughs> Heineken <laughs> Cup or where it leads to the Irish. Well, uh, there we are. That, that, that throws up a whole load of the questions. I'm not, I think if you ever went for it, if you argue you should close it off below the second tier, right? And I can see some arguments for that. It's what cricket do effectively, yeah. right? You, 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 so it's not as if that model hasn't had a go, and you could argue whether that's successful or not. Is, is well, it's a, good, it's, it's a good finish this year. It's but, a good, you know, another closed league that's doing another closed league that's doing so terribly. The IPL, anyway, because um, that's not growing at all, is it? Because it hasn't got promotion and relegation. Um, what they have is what all leagues should have. They have expansion. The way you expand is to close it off. It's the paradox. Anyway. I think 18, closing off at 18 is, is, a, is a, what I would say about this is we've got to get away, and this is the influence of football as a national sport, we've got to get away from saying, well, if we have 10 teams, we have 18 games. If we have, 20, if we have 12 teams, we have 22 games. If we have, that everybody plays everybody else home and away. I, I think that's incredibly rigid. Never seem to have harmed the Six Nations. We don't have that, does yeah, it? Where does your franchise expansion actually end, though, Mark? What? Well, I would say that See, that's, it, that's an interesting. Yeah, no, no, question. no. It is. It's a really fair question. It's a really fair question. I suppose what I say, and people use the word franchise in this country as a form of form of criticism. So, and, and I'm not even sure it's appropriate. All I would say, I always point to two things in nine. 1996, two leagues started. One was in England called the Premiership in rugby, and the other was in the United States, another minority sport called football at that time, called the MLS. Yeah. We've had 26 years, largely of promotion and relegation, largely. We had a couple of years recently for whatever reason, but, but for the vast majority of the time, we've had promotion and relegation. I know UNIT would say it's been it's been skewed because of the distribution, but I'd say it's bogus. But yeah. it, but, it, but to be fair, even in the first when the first few years when it wasn't, right? It, it, so leave that aside just for a minute, and you got one league that was closed and franchised and salary capped and had a lot of what are called equalisation policies around it. Winded on twenty whatever we are years, twenty six years, I think it is something like that. We've still got well, we've got that losing ridiculous number of thirteen, but it looks to me like we're going to twelve or ten, mm. and we started with twelve. Mm. They've got thirty two. Now, I'm not arguing that that's only because they're closed and franchised and salary capped and equalised, and everyone has a chance. And the way you grow your league is at the beginning yeah. of every season, every massive, fan, massive. every fan, every fan thinks, you know what? This year we get a good run. We've changed the coach. If we get a good run with injuries yeah. and we put our best game on the park most weeks, this year we might win it. Yeah, but we also, might. also, Mark, massive country, 
huge population. <laughs> so, you know, 32 teams no, probably totally get a, that. a good balance, you know? No, no, Nick. They've grown the sport. In 1996, 12 was the number they could afford, right? And if you want a small country where a closed league has expanded the game, go, to, go back to the one we've talked about already, go back to Australia. The AFL was a Victorian league, right? It, was, it wasn't even a bloody state league in 1985. No, nine, right? teams, nine teams in Melbourne. Nine teams in Melbourne. It's now 18 teams in every state in Australia. They've grown into states where they barely play the game. Yeah. They've, got a te- they've got teams in every single state in the country. We are very clever and very aggressive marketing policy in schools and so on and so yeah. forth. But they've completely you, you, designed rugby union. They, they have. They've taken rugby unions North Shore in Sydney, for example. Yeah. But you go and talk to them, Nick, and they'll say, what are you doing on the Gold Coast? The Gold Coast is not an AFL area. They don't play it up there. They said, yeah, we know. That's why we're giving them more money. Mm. That's why we're giving them more money than, than the rest. And that's the bit, Brenda, where I would agree with you. Unequal funding should go to Newcastle no, Dolphins, no. not to Leicester and Bath. I and mean, if you're going you're gonna to use unequal funding to grow the game and grow the league, you give it to your weak markets, not your slow, not your, not your because otherwise you'll shrink and yeah. you'll end up with Bristol playing Bath, playing Harlequins, playing Leicester, playing, you'll get about eight teams. Then, Chris, to be fair, your multinational league thing becomes more attractive. The college leagues even do a bit of equalisation in the top 14, don't they? Yeah, they do. And even, and it's interesting about France, when they come up from Fed 1 now, one of the teams have to be from north of a line between La Rochelle and Lyon. Now, I'm all for that. Don't get me wrong, Brent, I think some of the things the top 14 do are really good, and that's one of them. They want to grow the game north of that line. In in Australia, they used to call it the Beresi line after the great AFL coach, whereby, you know, Queensland and New South Wales on one side of the line, rugby league, Everybody else on the other side of the line, Aussie rules, right? Not anymore. It's a national sport. Yeah. You, you look France, at the geographical spread of Pro D Dirt, and it's like the hexagon. There is a team yeah. in yeah. every geographical yeah. and, 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 and Brendan, that hasn't happened by accident. That hasn't happened with promote, just promotion and relegation. That's happened by they have they have basically ring fenced a promotional spot for the areas where rugby is not traditionally so, strong. That's my whole argument. That so, is my whole argument. Can we bring come come to one issue that I'm not sure that we've we've uh, fully touched on, and that is the gross mismanagement of the Premiership clubs. You know, the reality is is that most of the debt that has been incurred, or a large part of it, has been incurred because of the inflationary element in player and coaching wages and so on and it's been untrammeled there was a warning simon cohen i think in the rugby paper 2016 2017 when he was at leicester he warned then of exactly what has happened he got it absolutely right he said this league is going to implode if this level of inflation continues that's what's happened and we're, you know, we're, we're left with this. And the reality is, is it's, it's not only happened because the Premiership has no real um, administration 
of you know that you need the quality that you need in a professional sport and the rfu has abnegated all responsibility for the premiership yeah i, I well, think those two the, things have created a disaster I, I, the, well the the, the 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 great looking back and it's easy with hindsight but when the part of the reasons why premiership rugby's governance is so weak and i do think simon now rec recognizes he hasn't been there a year he recognizes this i know he does it was set up as a commercial body to hold the rights that's what it was set up for in 1997, or was it six? 96, 97. It was set up, it wasn't set up as a regulatory authority. It wasn't set up as a commission. It was set up as a limited company to hold the commercial rights to the league, right? That's, that's how it was structured. Sure. Now, if you do that, there is a whole host of things that a governing body or a league body, like the NFL or the AFL, whatever, has to do not not running the whole sport but running the league you have a regulatory role you have an independent chairman you have an independent board shareholders are separated from the executive and you run the whole thing we have never ever got to that point and that's why at the and chris has just put a a, a, a great example of why it's about and it's really dull governance the word that sends everybody to sleep right but it's incredibly important so we've got the situation because of the governance of Premier Rugby that next year, I think, or the year after, because four out of 13 vote for the cap to go up, it goes up. That would be completely impossible in a well-governed league because the commissioner or the chief executive, call it what you like, who would take an independent executive decision in the interest of the league as a whole, not the interest of Bristol or Exeter or Bath or Leicester, yep. The whole league and say, no, as a league, we're not generating enough revenue to increase the cap at the moment. And in fact, what we're going to do, which is what we should have done years ago, we're going to link the cap to revenue and the re not the revenue of the individual club, the revenue of the league. This is what we can afford because we have lost half a billion pounds. What do you think that could have done to our sport if we had had we had half a billion pounds to spend on rugby union in England? But until we change the government's neck, the points you made, which I completely agree with, I can't really see it changing because if you, there's a fundamental conflict between a shareholder who owns a club is always and quite rightly going to put their club first. They're going to vote, unless you are a saint, you are going to vote for things that benefit your club. And that is a terrible, terrible way to run a league. Shareholders should be shareholders and they are they own the, the, the company or they own the league. That's true of the NFL, it's true of the AFL, whatever. That's the way it works. But you don't run it. Yeah. You but do they have not to be concerned that there is a reckoning coming. All of them. Well, some some are, but some will just say, I can cop it. There will be some owners in the league who say. I have got, it's, it's what I call, and I've heard it so many times over, so many years in various countries, it's the called, what I call the, I haven't got a yacht argument. Right, well, and it basically goes- A very, very small league in that case. You have a very, very small league because, and actually here's the other thing that Bren, I would say, the difference between, again, letting people, then what people say to me, and I've heard it so many times over the years, because I haven't really changed my position much in a long time, Oh, yeah, but look at football. Look at all the losses in football. Look, they lose millions and millions and millions and millions. And, and I say, yep, you're absolutely right. Why do you think they do that? And then they tend to go quiet. I said, well, I'll tell you why they do that. 
Because although they might have spent 30 or 40 or 50 million pounds improving their team, right? When they decide to get out, a club they bought for 50 million, they sell for 200. I'm making the numbers up, right? There are any number of people who've owned football clubs over the years, from the Edwards family at Manchester United to Doug Ellis at Villa to a whole host of others who've made money because the asset value of the club has risen over time. Yes, they've lost money year on year, but when they come to sell it, the value of the club has rocketed, right? I can tell you now, never mind Worcester and Wasp, there are another four clubs in the premiership that if you offered them a dollar and take over the debt, they'd sell it to you tomorrow. Absolutely. Right? I know that for a fact. What they won't do, because they're honourable men, is walk away and leave the club to hang because it's losing money, right? But they, if you and, and if you want to attract investors, right? We've gone through our first flush. God, we've churned a load of people. Don't forget Brian Kennedy, and don't forget I know, God, he's gone. Now, but Tom Walkinshaw. Don't forget David Thompson. Don't forget I could. The list goes on. Andrew Brown saw it. It goes on and on and on. It's stopped now, though, hasn't it, guys? Nobody wants to buy a club. Oh, you might get the odd guy. The odd person will come along and think, yeah, all right, I've, Jim O'Toole may or may not have found an American. I think he probably has, actually, right? But they are few and far between because, A, it loses money, but worse than that, they're not increasing in value because there's no prospect of ever not losing a load of money. Well, 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 again, on the, on the, Mark, just something on the at the right time. <laughs> you, you've got boss. Okay, they're in, in the, the doo-doo now. And yet last year, they're opening a five million pound gym complex. Now, yeah, again, I, I get back to my good husbandry point. If you just set your sights a bit lower and try to at least approximately balance the books every season. Now, you might now tell me that that becomes part of their assets and therefore they're more saleable uh, or yeah, if anybody wanted they to. They are. Uh, whatever. But, but they might go bust before that comes in. You know, they spent five million pound when they're struggling financially. And I, um, there was an interview with Bath the other day on the telly. Now, it's slightly different there because they have got a genuinely rich owner who picks up the yes. tabs behind the scenes. But they've said, oh, it's a, it's a fresh start. We've got a uh, new fitness team, new conditioner, new chef, new nutritionist, new medical team. I'm thinking, guys, can you just not concentrate a bit and get down to your core expenditure, well, income I, and outcome? I'll tell you the best thing I can remember here. And this, I don't know, this is not mine. I've nicked this. All right. And maybe this will explain to you that behavior. Maybe it will. I, I think it might. This is not mine. I nicked it. Like most of my I, my things, I've nicked him from somewhere, right? <laughs> Including the big game. I nicked that from Max Grazzini in Paris. Anyway. <laughs> uh, thank God that's all you nicked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right, thank you. Steady on. Steady on. <laughs> Somebody described, uh, and it was, it's not just the premiership, but obviously uh, owners of clubs in a sport that is not dominant. They said, that, well, they are, you've got to understand, Mark, is they're like a bunch of blokes playing poker. And the best any of them has got, as the cards come out, is a couple of twos. But they look around the table and just go, raise. And the next go looks around the table and goes, raise. And everybody keeps raising. And it's a game of chicken. Somebody is going to drop out soon. And I'm not prepared to be that person. And, I, and that's, in a funny way, I quite like that image. It's like everybody knows the model's bust. A few are prepared, the yacht thing. I haven't got a yacht, Mark, so I'm spending my money on a rugby club. But you cannot build 
this is what frustrates me, I suppose, where we would all be on the same page. I want to grow the damn sport, right? I don't want this. I, I, it drives me mad. Two things that drive me mad more than anything else. Fans who, when the club tries to run it sensibly, say, oh, well, we lack ambition. We lack ambition. We're not, we're not, we're not losing as much money as we should. Some that rich bastard over there, he should put more money in. That drives me mad in all sports, right? And the other one is, we just and I heard this from Steve Lansdowne the other day. We need to drive more revenue. That'll fix it. Well, no, it won't. Let, here's a little stat for you. In the last 20 years, we have quadrupled the revenue of the Premiership rugby. Quadrupled. Go and look at go and look at. I'm a nerdy bloke, right, at times. I can go back to all the accounts and I add them all up, right? It's really, really sad. And I put them on a spreadsheet, right? I can, right? For 20 years ago, we, uh, the, the collective 12, now 13, earned, and I'm comparing pre-COVID, all right? So before the whole thing goes to shit. Revenues have increased fourfold in 20 years. That's a pretty decent growth rate, right? For a club, for a sport that's meant to be on its bloody knees, that's pretty damn good. That includes the CVC money, presumably. No, 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 no. no. Pre-CBC, no. Good point there, but no. Definitely, I took out all the exceptionals and I would crown CVC as an excessive whole different conversation. I think I, I, didn't, I thought that's a terrible deal. I wouldn't have done. But anyway, you don't give away 20% of your revenue in perpetuity to anybody, in my view, but there we are. I'm old-fashioned like that. So we quadrupled the revenues. That's not bad over 20 years. But in 2004... I was at Quinn's at the time. The collective losses of the league for the Premiership was two million. Not not average. I do stress this. This is everybody added up together. The colossus of the league was two million pounds. Leicester, Northampton, Gloucester, and a few others were making money. The small markets, Sale, Newcastle, London Irish, were losing money. No surprise there. Largely down to attendances. But overall, we were losing two million. And I used to, I remember thinking at the time. We're seven years in, we're a startup. God, we've, we've virtually got this to break even. This is going to be great. Roll it on 20 years. In 2019, pre-COVID, we lost 50 million pounds. 50 million pounds. We've quadrupled the revenue and we've put a multiple of 25 on the losses. Explain to me how that model's not broken. And the only way I can explain how that has happened is the Russian roulette thing. Well, that's sort of the, the, poker, the game well, of poker. Well, that's interesting, Mark. So I think it's the game of chicken that you describe. The Premiership was born in a game of chicken because they were at war with the RFU. Yeah, they were. True. And so in a sense, in that sense, this whole thing was born under a bad moon. Oh, it, it was. was a, and, and the point we made a, about the... It was a point battle from the start. And even now, you can bet your bottom dollar. Not so many now, because Anno Domini matters. But there are still people sitting at Twickenham who will take the old Martin Thomas view that if mm. you just wait long enough, these people who are not one of us will go away. I think an awful lot of them have gone, back. Chris. I, I do. I really do think. I think most of them have. And, and one of the things that gives me hope, and I am still an optimist about all this, I really am, all evidence to the contrary. One of the things that I do think the personal relationships between the executive at the RFU and the executive at PRL is probably as good as it's ever been. Yes. I, think, I don't think there's a level. And, and that's, I mean, I remember when uh, I, had a lot of, I, 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 I had a lot of respect for Francis Barron. I did. Actually, I didn't. We didn't agree on lots and lots of things, but I, I did accept he was, you know, I thought he did a really good job for what he was pe- for, for the rugby union. 
right? Not necessarily the game, but for the rugby union, I think he did a bloody good job. And some of, you know, I, and I did agree with some of the things he did, like ring fencing the community spend. I thought that's that's a that's a I totally support that, right? But in those days, I mean, literally, it was like it was toxic. I mean, it was toxic. It's not like that anymore. No. But the governance structures, we keep coming back to this, are just flawed. I mean, people have always gone on. I, I wish I'd, I'd see an article that says, you know what, instead of worrying about the number of teams and whether there's promotion and relegation and, 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 and all this kind of other stuff, we, we love all that. It's great fun and, and, and everybody's got a view and that's great. How about we had a debate about how the thing should be bloody governed? You know, about, about, about where does the where do the decision making Hallelujah. Hallelujah. where do the decision making powers reside? Hallelujah. Because until we fix that, honestly, I just don't think it's going to get fixed. And it's not just it's not just England. Go and have a look at Wales. Mm. Well, it's the transparency thing, but also it goes to the top. The World Rugby, you know, the eight founder nations have three votes to other people's two or one. The yeah. whole. And even, that's an, and, even that's an, and even that's an improvement, Brent. I mean, to that be is fair. an improvement, but it's still there's a voting block that can have exactly what they want all the time. And rugby is so addicted yeah, to these little power blocks. All I would say about world rugby, Brendan, is I do think the direction of travel is correct. I do think they are moving. I, I, I until quite two last two or three years, I virtually knew nobody at world rugby. I, I, I've done a bit of work for the, some of them and certain things and the whole Fiji thing. And, you know, it, it, I've got to meet a, a fair few more now. And it's like a bit, it's like a juggernaut. It's one of those old ocean liner, you know, trying to turn yeah. something who actually haven't got nearly as much power as the, that's a great title for world rugby. Sounds fantastic. As if you're in control of the whole thing. The amount of power they've got is, is really very, very, well, it's the art of the possible. And again, it's hard to get a governing body for the world going to be anything other than that. But Brendan's right. Football get a lot of things wrong, but at least FIFA, maybe not a great example, highly corrupt, et cetera, et cetera. But the 212 clubs all get one vote. Now, the problem with that is then you, you got open to buying votes and all the rest of it. So let, let's not say that it's a panacea, but governance, it's really dull. It, it's, it's hard to get your sports editor to put it in the paper. It's really... You know, it's like financial stuff. I mean, you know, it's it's really, I understand it's difficult. They want a colour piece or a match report or whatever. It's hard. But we're never really going to fix a lot of the issues until we get the governance right. And English club rugby, which is my particular passion, along with Fiji, of course, you know, is, is a particularly bad example. And, and I, I, I just hope that, you know, and the my other big thing is single issues. None of this can be solved with a single issue. Keeping or getting rid of promotion relegation is not a does not fix it. Uh, having or not having a salary cap does not fix it. That, that, that you need a, a series of interlocking and self-reinforcing things that create an ecosystem that allow clubs to grow without losing millions and millions of pounds. Mm. The point you made about New Zealand, Nick. One of the best things they've got that we haven't, which I think we could move towards. Why New Zealand rugby and the provinces will never go bust. They may have problems with attendances, but they won't go bust if they link their salary cap at national and local level to revenue. So they have a CBA with the Players Union where 36.5% of revenue goes to wages. In the NRL in, in, in um, Australia, it's 28%. Uh, there's, 
Don't they do something similar in the top fourteen? I, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's different, but but I think that the, 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 well, the no, income spend uh, is linked to their business, is linked to their revenue yeah. somehow, isn't it? The DACGN is what you're referring to. I think oh, I've got that right. Brent, yeah. you'll, you'll know. Brent will know. He's my top fourteen expert. But the, the financial regulator of French rugby. This is what it's interesting when people talk about France, and there are major differences in the market. But that, but. One of the things I do like about the top point, I like the one one ten team above the line coming into Prodigy. I think that's really good long-term strategic thinking. The market wouldn't do that. It will keep promoting sides from the southwest. It, you know, it won't happen on its own. It won't happen without governance. And I love the fact that for years they've had a finan independent financial watchdog. Yeah. So if you, you when you have to put your budget in, you have to show you can pay it to the end of the year. Yeah, you, know, you but, have but, to show you've got a certain amount of cash on hand. If but we it, had that in this country, Worcester would never happen. But isn't it interesting, Mark? I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the two major rugby nations whose domestic rugby in in their slightly different ways, but it amounts to the same thing, are in a considerable amount of turmoil at the moment are mm. England and Wales. And those are the two nations whose relations with between the top end clubs, regions in Wales, the clubs here and the and the governing body are. Yes, it's improved between the premiership clubs and the yeah, other. Yeah, as you yeah, yeah. But there is still no sense of real common cause. Yeah. And, and, and in those in those two countries, there are stresses and strains and general bastardy between the two between the two. And in nowhere else. I mean, I mean, in France, but it's but it's better. Ireland, we know about New Zealand, we know about Australia, Scotland, Australia. Just in I, England. I, yeah, I'd agree. I would say that I'd say that to be fair, I'd, and again, I'd be, I'm unpopular for this in certain quarters. Is that I think now in England, I don't think the RFU are the block. I really don't. I think the clubs could fix this on their own. I think the RFU. Mark, I think that the RFU has abnegated any responsibility for the running of the club game and it's handed it over to a premiership, which, as you've pointed out and absolutely rightly pointed out, has got no govern proper governance. Well, I mean, that is, in, I mean, that's that's a catastrophe. You could argue that they've kept too much. It's just ridiculously English funds, whereby the premiership do certain things to do with the premiership. And the RFU do certain things, and that, that's never going to work. Well, I would know the point I'm making is slightly different. I, I don't think there's a, a resistance within the RFU to reform the, the Premiership. I, I really don't. I, I can't. I haven't heard it for a long, long time. The resistance, in my perception, the resistance to the reforming of the Premiership sits within the Premiership. That, that, those are the guys who can fix it. They could, for example, I mean, just to take, and this is only one point, right? This is only a single point. They could, instead of going to 6.4 when they can't afford it in two years' time, they could say, we're going to keep it at 5 million mm. until the revenue hits a certain level. They could. But that is nothing. They could do that entirely independently of the RFP. They don't need the RFP's permission to do that. And that, in a stroke, yeah. you've gone 60% of the way to what Brendan quite rightly is asking for, which is, can we not get our costs and revenues in line? Yeah. On top of that, get rid of the bloody ridiculous marquee system. I, I, you'll you'll have absolutely no argument there. Although to be to be honest, and Brent, you've got to be, part of this is slightly 
got to be real. It's the art of the possible. Ren's point, which he made very eloquently about, you know, not withholding people who can make a difference, they should be allowed to spend more, etc., etc. I don't agree with that, but I do accept that that's a view held by a number of club owners, and it is. Okay? Yeah. And you can almost guess who they are. A way of at least keeping that under some kind of control and not allowing it to the divergence to become huge is a marquee player. So the poorer clubs can't afford one, so they don't use it. So, or if they do, they just use it. They don't increase their overall spend. They just still they're still under the cap. And the ones that, frankly, don't have a yacht brigade, they do. And if you you know, whenever you're running a league, at the end of the day, you've got to take people with you. And if that's the price you have to pay to get other changes, I, I could live with it. I don't like it, but I could live with it because you're never going to have 100 percent of what you like. As long as as long as teams don't use the marquee system to break the salary cap, but that oh. was only a rumor. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. So you know, I, I, look, I I do still think. I suppose. I suppose I sort of sort of feel that eventually common sense and reason will prevail, but. I mean, like in other areas in, in, in world politics at the moment, you know, maybe I'm being naive. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> let's hope that it doesn't take, you know, half of the uh, the premiership to... Uh... Oh, I, I agree. I, I hate to say, I mean, the Machiavellian thing, which I don't believe actually, Nick, but I have heard it said is that this is last man standing and once we get to 10, we'll be fine. I've heard people say that. Yeah. And personally, I, I, I'm going, no... Because I come back to my quadrupling of revenue. No, if you don't change the model, yeah, you're yeah, not going to fix the problems. You'll no. stabilise, and in ten years' time, we'll have another crisis. No. Well, Kwasi Kwarteng may be looking for a job soon. Do you think we should bring him into Premier Rugby? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we gave that a good shake, didn't we? <laughs> right. I think that's an acceptable level of harmony. Almost to end the episode. I don't think I've said anything for the last 45 minutes. My voice is Sorry, Oliver. Cold. No, 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 you're good, you're good. I feel like one of those clockwork coals you're buying <laughs> It was certainly a spectacle. And, and it makes Bren's me wish never, that... Bren and Nick are never sure of a, of a, of a good old ding-dong <laughs> argument. We've been doing this for 30, 40 years. <laughs> don't think they're missing. It's a point in our hands, to be honest. Age before beauty. Always, always. <laughs> it's really interesting. It's one of my... Yeah, loads of, I'm never sure of an opinion. But it's one of the things I find, I wish we were better at it by being in this country. You listen to the podcast on the NRL, I know I go on about the NRL, I just love it. It's such an exciting league. You listen to their podcast, they just like that one just was. People are shouting each other, people are <laughs> what a load of old nonsense. They're all mates, right? But it, it makes a great listen. Yeah. They're all so daddy po-faced and they're having a You know, that's how you change your view, isn't it? I think Brent talks bollocks, but don't mean I like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't come across like that, Mark, when you were arguing with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I come across him. Well, maybe I might have moved him a millimeter this time or not, but I, mean, I probably haven't. Danny, probably the same with me. Although, Food for so I've, always, I've always been against a tattoo tier and then close it off, but I'm starting to think maybe. I haven't really studied it and modelled it properly, but I'm starting to think that may... I've certainly proposed to, to uh, uh, cut enough below the championship. I think that's quite... Now, whether you make the second tier full-time, and I do use that again, I, I very much... I, mean, I think I think the seamless game is 
complete nonsense. You've got to have a good second tier. You've got to realise it's a training ground for coaches, players and administrators. You probably can't afford to make it full time. But if you cut, you said no relegation below the second tier and we're going to grow that second tier in the next 10 years. And if we get two really strong clubs in, we'll take them up and we'll make it, we'll expand the apprenticeship. I could live with that. I think that's a pretty sensible model. I think I can meet you halfway there, Mark. But you won't get, sorry, we want people to invest, okay, but make it not so heavily loss-making. And you've got to take away some risk because... You know, look at the clubs who, who go to the wall. You know, they, they tend to be not doing great on the park. You know, Worcester have always struggled a bit. And I remember I remember West Hartlepool. I remember Mosley. I remember Oral. I remember Wakefield. You know, this idea that you've got to have a big enough market. At the end of the day, I mean, look at Sale. Sale, battle and battle. Why do they battle? Because Liverpool, Everton, Manchester United, Man City, Warrington, Wigan and St. Helens. And Salford, small market, all right. And they've got to somehow carve a market, enough people, in an intensely competitive region. I, I, fair play, if anyone can ever turn sale into a club with 10,000 people coming every week, I'll take my hat off to them because it's really, really hard. But doing Bath, any idiot can do that. Well, look, the, the answer, Mark, as you well know, is trustonomics. If you want people to invest, what you do is you give... Bruce Craig, James Dyson, and Stephen Lansdowne a tax cut. Yes, of course. Yeah. And yeah, because they get such a high propensity to spend, haven't they? Just, as opposed to anything. But look, so, I, I do think we can fix it. It is fixable. That, that, the only thing that gives me hope is you can fix this. And I keep saying to people I know in the, in the game, because I haven't been in the Premier since 2011. I mean, I've been away for 11 years. Why, why don't you fix it? It's not difficult. It's easy to fix. When it comes to something when you go into Fiji to have a bit of financial sanity. Well, may I tell you what? If I can, if well, I can, hold, that together, if I can hold that together financially for three years, I'll be, I, I, I expect to get an honour. It's, it's like Rwanda, who, who have now come to an agreement with us to send all their unwanted immigrants to Britain. Yeah. Yeah, well, well we're increasing immigration now, apparently. Hey, Brexit <laughs> dividend. Excellent. <laughs> Oh yeah. dear me! Right, we're not going to have time for the fifteen quick yeah. five questions. I don't think so. Apologies. No, I, to say, I, I prepared them as well. I, I, <laughs> there is no, there is no quick fire question to Evans. You must know this by now. Yeah, Evans multifaceted, and I don't like to give glib answers, so they get a bit long. You know? Okay, well, no glib answers for today then. Oh, so okay, that, that hasn't been the case. Nobody right. see you first. Take care. Yeah, thanks Good very much, guys. Card, yeah, best, great best luck over there, Mark. As always, the Rugby Paper is available in stores on Sundays or you can get it delivered to you through our digital subscription. We will see you next week for episode 34.